Good morning. In that announcement of good morning, I'm assuming that it's a good morning. My question for you is, have you ever verbalized what you want from God? Let me verbalize some of the things that some people want from God. Some people want their fire insurance. What does that mean? They just don't want to go to hell. That's what they want from God. Other people just want to be left alone by God. Others want God to deliver them from whatever situation that they may find themselves in currently. Some people may want God to grant redemption and blessings and and his statement of childhood upon their children or grandchildren or friends or family. Some people want to know from God, what's their purpose? Usually when we... Uh, ask for what the purpose is, it's usually because we want some great thing to be by God, you know, we want to be the next Moses, as opposed to the next person no no one ever heard about, but was faithful to God. And so there are all a lot of things that we want from God, and as we think we grow, and we think we mature, we may change somewhat in what it is that we want from God. The next question I ask is, what does God want from you? We tend to not ask that question all that often because we're afraid of the answer. It's kind of like those who are always constantly seeking to know what the will of God is. And when God clearly tells you things like, to pray without ceasing and everything, give thanks, and to be anxious for nothing. We don't want to do that. We want to go on to something else. And so there are a number of things that God tells us clearly what his will is for us, but we never seem to be satisfied with that because, again, we want something different. In this question, there is a response to what God wants from you. And it is your purpose, and it is your purpose that will be from today and tomorrow and the next day and the next decade and the decade after that. And even when you have closed your eyes in death will be your purpose thereafter. And in this passage, we're going to see what that purpose, what that, what it is, what God wants from you and me. So we're going to take a look. And so this today is probably not a message that you were anticipating listening to. But I guess because this is where it is, you and I are stuck with it. And if you don't like it, I guess you can buy a 1995 book on something else. So chapter 19 of Exodus, it says, In the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, On that very day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. And when they set out from Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. 
And there Israel camped in front of the mountain. Now I'm going to stop there because this is a very significant two verses that no one ever pays attention to. Why are these two verses significant? Because it tells us that it's been less than three months. We're going to know it's probably about 48 days or so. Because on the 50th day after they have left Egypt, God is going to give them the law. And so it tells us this, but it also tells us that they camped in the mountain. Now, why is this important? Because when Moses was given all of his excuses to why he should not go and tell Pharaoh to let God's people go and how he had done it before and how will they believe him and he wasn't very good at speaking, God said, this is how you're going to know because you and your people are going to come to this mountain and worship me. God keeps his promises. It's been the theme of this whole book. In these two verses, it doesn't place a big banner and says, guess what, guess what, blinking, blinking lights, neon lights, God keeps his promises. God just says it simply and quietly. They're there where God told them they would be when God had the original conversation with Moses as to a guarantee, if you will, that God would deliver his people. Moses went up to, to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. He says, I want to remind you because it's only been less than three months. You saw what I did with the ten plagues to the Egyptians and how I spared you. You've seen how I've brought you from that place to this place. That I provide water. That I provided food. That I provided safety against your enemies. I've been like an eagle that bears its young on its wings to make sure that it can fly and that it's protected because you have to get through mama eagle before you can get to the baby. God says, I bore you. You've seen it yourself. Now then, if in, you indeed will obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be. And I'm going to stop there. God says, here's, a, here's an agreement that we're going to have. If you do these things, then these things will follow. I want you to not only hear my word, like today, we're all listening to what the Lord of God has to say. But that's not just all that God wants from you. He wants you to hear it and to obey. He's kind of consistent like that. Jesus said... The person who hears the word of God and does it is like the man who builds his house on the foundation of a rock. And the man who hears and doesn't obey is like a man who builds his house on sand. James will later in his epistle say the same thing. God seems to be pretty consistent with his message. So it says, if you will hear my voice and obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own 
possession. My own people, for all the earth is mine. God is saying, you're going to be a special treasure to me. Everything is mine. Every man, woman, and child on this earth is mine. All the gold, all the cattle, all the platinum, whatever measure of wealth we might consider, it's all God's. But God says, if you will do these things, you won't just be mine, you'll be my special treasure. Now, it has been a very long time I, when I was preparing for this message. I kept trying to think back as a child how I would get certain toys and they would be my toys. And I kept trying to remember which toys were that they were special to me. And I remember things like saying to my mother, I understand I have to share, but not this one. I don't want to share this toy because they might break it. They might whatever. This one is special to me. Now, I don't remember what that toy was, and it could have been most of them. I don't know. But they were mine. And it may be very similar in your life. You may have something that's very special to you. It may be something that a relative gave you, your grandparents or something. Or it may be something that you worked hard for with a paper route or whatever it was so that you might be able to buy this thing, and this thing is very special to you. God is saying, everything's mine, but if you'll do this, you'll be very, very, you'll be my treasure. You'll be special to me. You'll be my possession in all the things that are. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. A kingdom of priests. Not just a few priests. Not just 10%, but everyone involved will be a priest, the one who, who ministers to God and communicates to, to the people who God is. We're all to be a kingdom of priests. God wants his people to be a special possession of his and to be a kingdom a priest. And by a kingdom, we're going to see it means like royalty. We'll be special as those priests. We'll be like princes and kings and priests. And a holy nation. A nation that is set apart for God. Now, when we see holy, we kind of think systematically that means perfect. Ultimately, holiness will derive, but holiness is set apart for one particular purpose. And so the example I use constantly, and I'm going to probably need to find another example because not a lot of people have China anymore. As a matter of fact, the only China many people have is the Chinette paper plates that we buy at Smart and Final or something. But if you do have China, or if you do have certain plates that aren't cracked and broken, and those are the ones that you only use when company comes out, those are the holy ones. You use those for only special occasions. 
And God is saying, what I want is I want you to be different than any other nation. I want you to be a holy nation, one that's set apart for me, to me, by me. Oh yes, it's wonderful to be an American. And it may be wonderful to be a French or a German or whatever your nationality may be. But God has called us to be a holy nation. That's what He wants from us. To be His special possession, to be a kingdom of priests, and to be a holy nation. They're laid out in Exodus chapter 19. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. And by today's what I will say, and these are the words that I am to speak to this congregation and whoever else is listening. And you may say, well, pastor, he's talking to the children of Israel. I'm not Jewish, so he must not be talking to me. Au contraire. This little message that God has for this nation, he also has for you and for me. You might say, I don't see that here. It's interesting that God will do things and I'll introduce something and then he'll remind us and he'll remind us and he'll remind us that his purposes don't change. Circumstances might, people might, nations might, customs and cultures might, but God's purposes remain. And so in the bulletin, you'll see a little bracket around Isaiah 61.6. I'm not going to go there. But in Isaiah 61.6, it's pretty much what Jesus says upon reading that the Spirit of God is upon him. And when that Spirit is upon him, one of the results is that the people will become priests to God. But Peter brings it up most specifically. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, it says this, But you, but you, the people that he wrote this letter to, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. The plan of God here at Mount Sinai is the same plan that God has instituted even after Jesus came, suffered, died, and rose again. That he has called you and he has called me to be that chosen people of God, a royal priesthood, a kingdom of prince and princes and kings and queens who are priests. It's not just for the pastor to do these things. It's for all of us to be this. This is what God's will. This is what God wants of you. This is what God expects of you. And guess what? This is what God is going to bring you to. I'm going to read it again because I want you to see. But you are. 
not will be, not hopefully someday, that I'm going to work hard on it, but you are. Now, no time in the church has everyone or pretty much anyone ever been perfect. He's not saying when we all become perfect, this is going to happen. But you are, by God's designation, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Which means if God possesses you, whatever God chooses to do with you, that's what you do because you're his special people and you have been made holy, set apart for his purposes. And one of those purposes, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He didn't say that's the pastor's job. He didn't say that that's the music minister's job. He didn't say that's the missionary's job. He didn't say that's the evangelist's job. That's everybody who has been called by God to be priests, a holy nation. That's our job, to make known to proclaim the excellencies of, of the Lord. And just in case you didn't, I'm going to go on a little further. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. We once were just a bunch of different people from this culture and that culture, this ethnic background and another ethnic background, from this place or that place. God has assembled all of us to be his people. But you now are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And we are to proclaim that as priests, royal priests, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And in case you say, well, you know, maybe Peter just kind of, uh, because of his Jewishness, kind of, really didn't include us Gentiles. Well, John had a different revelation from Jesus himself in Revelation chapter 1, verse 6. It says this. Well, first I'm going to read verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the king of the earth, to him who loves us and releases us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom priest to God, his father, to him be the glory and dominion forever. Part of what God did through the sacrifice and blood sacrifice of Jesus was to make you and me a priest to him. It's his purpose. That's his calling. That's what he wants us to be. And then in Revelations chapter 5, 9 and 10, it simply says this. If I can find it. And they sang a new song. This is the saints around the throne, the elders. Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nations. So you see this call by Israel was not limited to just Israel. That the sacrifice of Jesus is for 
all people, all nations, all languages, all cultures, all times. Verse 10, And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. From Mount Sinai until Jesus is coming again, the plan is and will be for us to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a special possession of God. And towards the end of the book, chapter 20, verse 6, it says this, Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. What is it that God wants from you to do what he called these first people to be set apart, to be holy, to be his priests, to be his ministers to him and the communication of his word to others. Maybe I can find another plan because apparently not many of us want to do this one. Because it's always supposedly the pastor's responsibility to do these things. It's the evangelist's duty to do these things. When God has called all of us to be this. So back to Exodus chapter 19 verse 7. So Moses came down and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words which the Lord had commanded him. Now my expected response from these people based on their actions has been, are you kidding me? Have you seen what we've been? How at the first sign of problems, we're looking for either a new God or to blame this one? You really want us to do this? That would be what I would expect them to say if they were honest. But all the people answered together and said, all, not some, not a part, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We're in, God. You want us to be a special possession of yours? We're here. We're in. You want us to be a kingdom of priests? We'll do it. You want us to be a holy nation. Notice they didn't fudge. They said, yeah, we'll do it. And Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud so that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe in you forever. Then Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Their response is we're in. 
So my question to you and to me, yes, we all have our ideas of what we want from God. And yes, sometimes they change. But apparently, one of the things that God wants from us has not changed in several thousands of years. And as a matter of fact, will not change even after he comes again and we reign with him for that thousand years. Notice he called us not simply to be there, but to be a part of what he's doing, to reign with him, to minister to him, to declare and proclaim the excellency of who he is to others. That's what he's called you and me to do. And so my question is, are we, are you and me going to like, be like these people who say, I'm in? If you're asking me, in my opinion, God, I'd pick different people. But you didn't. You picked us. So is the answer, I'm in? Or is the answer, I just want my fire insurance? I just want you to be like that genie, except the genie only gives three wishes. I keep asking for a whole bunch of stuff. Is it what you want is just that God may bless whomever you dictate he should bless? Or are you saying, God, I hear what you are calling me to do? And I'll do it. One of the ways to respond to that is found in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. That's what you're supposed to do. That's part of what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to present our bodies not as a death sacrifice, but as a living sacrifice. A holy one that says this body is to be used only exclusively for God. If that were not hard enough, he then tells us to do one more thing. And do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Doesn't say to turn over a new leaf. Doesn't say to, he says you need to renew your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. When we heed the call to be his possession, to be a holy nation, to be a royal priesthood. We are proving what the will of God is. And is it any wonder that many people doubt that there is a God? Because those of us who profess that there is and we are called by his name seem to not live like it. So, 
you can be content with a little blessing. Or you can say, God, I'm all in. I'm going to be that priest. I'm not going to wear a collar. I'm not going to do a vow of poverty. But I'm going to be that true priest. One who proclaims your excellencies. One whose life shows forth who you are. Of your mercy. Of your forgiveness. And how that you have called people from every tribe, every background, every ethnic background, every culture. To be united as one. In a holy and common purpose. Which is his. So I'm going to ask you in just a moment to stand as we sing a song. I'm going to ask the band to come and lead us and hear with me as we consider this. But I want you not necessarily to come forward, but I want you to make a commitment or at least a plea to God. As the man once said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I know what you're asking is difficult, but only by your Spirit can I do it. May your Spirit strengthen me, embolden me, encourage me, because I want to be your special possession. I want to be what you want me to be, and I don't want to be it kicking and screaming at the resurrection. I want people to see your will for me now.